From the Orange County Fire Authority, this is the Pass Along Podcast, where we address firefighter issues from top to bottom, from your helmet down to your boots. Now, here's your host, OCFA's Assistant Chief of Organizational Planning, Mike Schrader. All right, welcome to the OCFA Pass Along Podcast. This episode of the Pass Along Podcast is part one of a two-part series uh, where we focus on John Wayne Airport operations and emergencies. Today, our interviewer is Operations Administrative Captain Daryl Milliot, talking to Battalion 5 C-Shift Chief Rick Schultz, and also Station 33 A-Shift personnel, including Captain Bill Valdez, about uh, airport rescue firefighting operations, protocols, capabilities, and emergencies. And here's a sneak peek at that interview. We, across the nation, are looked to as one of the experts as far as using that crane. Uh, People call me all the time from all around the country, hey, tell me about your crane program and uh, how you guys uh, uh, do this. So we've really tried to focus on that uh, aspect of it. The reason being is uh, John Wayne is a medium-sized airport, uh, but it's only got one commercial runway. So if a small plane clogs up that runway, um, we're basically interfering with the commerce of Orange County. So that's coming up in a few minutes, and then the next episode, we'll add a few more people to that group, and we'll break down the lessons learned from the plane crash that occurred on the 405 just off property uh, at the airport there on June 30th. So make sure to tune in for that and listen up for next week. For now, let's uh, cover some news and noteworthy items that are going on at the OCFA. Uh, we have an update on Fire Station 61. Uh, I'll never forget uh, waking up in the morning there, uh, I believe it was January 12th, uh, in the early morning hours and seeing on my iNotify that Fire Station 61 was on fire. And uh, a short time after that, I was up at the fire station, um, it was pouring down rain, 65 degrees, and at the incident command post, I remember looking down and seeing Kelly Zimmerman's sandals uh, that he wore as he was fleeing from the fire station that was on fire and then stood in the the street commanding resources um, that were working to suppress the fire. And... I was just kind of overcome with uh, what, a, um, what a powerful statement that was to everybody committing not only to that day and suppressing the fire and making sure everybody was okay, but ultimately all of the work that went in from this agency, literally uh, from the top to the bottom, folks were uh, all hands on deck working together from purchasing, property management, uh, risk management, and, and everywhere in between, including finance and operations. And, and so I just wanted to take a moment to say thank you for all those who participated in getting Fire Station 61 back online. Um, as you know, we were uh, temporarily located at uh, Anaheim Fire Station 11. And now um, I'm happy to announce that uh, while the new station is being constructed, we've been able to move into a temporary location there uh, just uh, beyond the station there at Walter Knott Elementary. So uh, our resources are back in there uh, for the exception of Battalion 8. Uh, They'll continue to be located out of Fire Station 17. Uh, But the Division 7 office as well as our community risk reduction and uh, the engine and truck are back there as well. So also wanted to uh, say thank you to Division Chief uh, Dave Steffen out of Division 7 and all the work that he put out, including kind of giving us a wrap up of the uh, memo and all the uh, moving parts there. Um, If you look back in the briefing binder, I believe it was August 10th and uh, they give you more details in that as well. So again, just wanted to say thank you for all who made that possible and getting us into a Walter Knot. And hopefully uh, in the coming year, we'll be into uh, new Fire Station 61. All right, without further ado, here's Captain Milliant and uh, his interview with uh, Battalion Chief Rick Schultz and Captain Valdez of Fire Station 33. So uh, this is Daryl Milliant speaking. This is the Operations Administrative Captain. Uh, I'm out here at the airport today talking to Captain Bill Valdez and Chief Rick Schultz. Just about ARF in general, the airport, airport functions, 
what's been new around the airport and with the crews. So uh, why don't we just kick it off by uh, Bill, if you don't mind just introducing yourself and how much time do you have on, how long you've been in ARF and sure, that sort absolutely. of thing. Sure, um, absolutely. Name's Bill Valdez. Uh, I've been with ARF since about the mid-80s, actually. That uh, I started off at the old fire station there. We used to have at uh, Dove, mm -hmm. it was station 27, Dove and Campus. It was a structure engine, and plus we also had the foam tender there at the time too, so we were responsible. That same foam tender you see at 36 started okay. off there at, uh, ah. you know, at 27s. Uh -huh. So we had that responsibility. We were the, I guess, the water supply officers for the crash units that were over here. So we trained a lot with the crash units over here as far as water supply. Okay. And we handled all medical aids, what 28s, what they're doing now, that's what we used to do. Okay. So that was old 27s. So that was mid-80s. Again, I was uh, an engineer, started off there at the time, promoted, came back as a captain, so then worked there again. Uh, been, you know, as far as having uh, ARF certification since back then. Mm -hmm. And then permanently came over here probably about maybe 10, 12 years ago is when I put in for the position here, went through various um, other jobs out there from truck companies to USAR to you name it. Yeah. But uh, did a variety of things, enjoyed it, but uh, came back to, I guess you could say this is roots. Okay. Had some roots here, so it, it's, it's been good. It's All been right. a good stay. So, so you've yeah. got a passion for the airport and very and much the functions. So. Very yeah. much so. Enjoyed yeah. it, watch it grow, watch the new terminal when it was put in. We used to respond to the old one. I mean, it was you know years ago, and yeah. I can remember walking out to aircraft. Everything was you know there were no okay. gates. There yeah. was just aircraft parked out there, so that's how we used to get to uh, the airplanes at the time. And mm. but uh, well, that's a long changed. time. Yeah, things yeah. have changed. Quite what other a bit. kind of changes could you think of going back that far? You must have seen a lot of a uh, lot of changes, right? I think in personnel. Uh, okay. Definitely in personnel. We've had uh, quite a few changes there. We went from. God, we had, what, nine bodies at one time, uh, crash rig-wise. We had a lot of folks here. We had additional crash rigs, and uh, crash rigs have gotten better, newer. Mm -hmm. And uh, then we moved into the new station over there, just on the corner over here at Polarino. Mm -hmm. That was the new station at the time. And I remember even that, if you look at that, compared to what we have here now, I mean, this is absolutely a palace that we're in now yeah, as compared nice. to smaller. But that had nine folks in it. Uh, when they used to have the old ARF station, that was at uh, 27's, the old 27 building. That used to have up to, what, 15, Chief? They had quite a few and, bodies there at the time. And that was before the new terminal over there, That's too. right, so that's right. So it was right. even a smaller airport as far as people coming through. That's uh, right, that that's right. It was, it was really, really tight, and it was, uh, you can see things slowly as our stations have gotten bigger and more, I think, functional, mm -hmm. uh, personnel have gone down. And they're requiring more and more what would you say, uh, expertise from everybody. Yeah. You know, our crane got bigger. You know, we had the galleon before. Now we have our uh, link belt, you know, 40-ton crane out there that everybody currently is being trained on and being certified on. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of new, new things that are happening out there for us, too. Okay. So we're just expanding, expanding, and it's just a small group now. Per day, you'll have uh, six ARF people on duty today, and everybody, mm -hmm. you know, definitely 
has a specialty role here. And so that other voice you hear on the mic is uh, Battalion Chief Rick Schultz from Battalion 5. He's also joining us today. Rick, why don't you just take a minute, if you would, and tell us a little bit about your background and uh, time on, that sort of thing. Sure. First of all, thanks uh, for doing this. Uh, every opportunity we get to uh, try to promote what we do here at the airport is always a, a good thing. So I'm glad in, uh, that we're doing this and hopefully uh, get some good information out to the folks in OCFA. Uh, I've been uh, in the fire service since 1982. Um, I have never been an ARF firefighter, but uh, worked on our helicopter. I got my pilot's license many, many years ago, and so I've have always had an interest in aviation. In fact, uh, retired uh, BC Carl Schmutz and I own a plane together that we keep down in Oceanside. So we're constantly in the world of the FAA and, and everything that goes along as far as aviation is concerned. So uh, when my predecessor, Ray Valenzuela, uh, retired about five years ago, I uh, volunteered and stepped up to become the program manager through uh, Battalion 5 and uh, have never looked back. I've enjoyed uh, the job. Uh, it's uh, sometimes kind of a delicate balancing act because we are, as the OCFA, contracting for ARF services here at the airport. And um, we have to meet the specific auspices of what that contract uh, means, both for the FAA and for uh, John Wayne Airport. But because John Wayne Airport also sits within the jurisdiction of OCFA, we have the same issues that we would have with any business that's out there as far as the things that go on in the terminal and um, um, fire prevention items, even out here on the airfield and, and uh, issues that go without. So uh, it's kind of a catch-all uh, position here at Battalion 5 to deal with all of those and, and, and coordinate the different parts of the department that would interact in there. So I, I really enjoyed it. It's a big part of uh, what I do at Battalion 5, um, but uh, having look back and have enjoyed every moment of it. As far as the ARF stuff goes, I got guys like Bill here who have brought me along to what they do specifically, and I try to give them the resources that they need to improve upon that. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, in the time that I've been here, I've tried to uh, expand upon the requirements of training and how we get that training. We send our guys to uh, Salt Lake City because they're one of the best schools in uh, the nation to uh, get the basic requirements that they need. Uh, there's also a school in, in, uh, at the Dallas-Fort Worth uh, airport that I've even in, uh, gone to classes there. Fantastic props, fantastic uh, information that they have. So all of the rank-specific stuff from everybody goes through the basic course. We try to get the uh, captains through an advanced course and even the uh, Battalion 5 chiefs through a command and control course to understand the differences of uh, what ARF is really about, uh, yeah. not only here but throughout the, the nation. Um, and then of course the equipment that they use. Uh, Bill mentioned the, the, the crane. We across the nation are looked to as one of the experts as far as using that crane. Hmm. Uh, people call me all the time from all around the country, hey, tell me about your crane program and uh, how you guys uh, uh, do this. So we've really tried to focus on that uh, aspect of it. The reason being is uh, John Wayne is a medium-sized airport, uh, but it's only got one commercial runway. So if a small plane clogs up that runway, um, we're basically interfering with the commerce of Orange County. 
Uh, I've seen statistics. I don't know if they uh, are warranted out by any specific study, but I've heard these from the airport do that. Every time we uh, shut down the runway with a small plane like that, uh, you're looking at uh, anywhere between $70,000 and $100,000 an hour being lost in revenue here in Orange County. Mm. So the faster that we can get that plane off, and, and ultimately the goal is an hour, but we do it much quicker in, in making that happen and get the runway back open, uh, the better we're, we are for the services here at the airport. So there's a lot of other airports around the country that are looking at our program saying, wow, that's pretty good value-added service, and what can we do to incorporate that? Because the FAA doesn't require it of mm -hmm. our services. Uh, that's something that we at, as uh, John Wynn Airport do. And then we also have the unique uh, situation here where right off the takeoff end of the airport here, we have back bay. So if a plane on takeoff has to find a place to land, just like Sully Sullenberger looked for the water that was flat and what wouldn't hit buildings, that's where they're going to look to. And so we have specialty equipment like uh, uh, rafts uh, and uh, uh, um, walkways. Right, we have that, the ramps. Ramps. We that, have uh, that, four that, ramps that we can yeah. take out there, oh, really? you know, upon need. And uh, uh, they're pretty cool. We have an, yeah. It's an 80-foot ramp. Uh, we have a 50 and two 30-foot ramps. Those water-based or land-based? Uh, Is that on a truck? Uh, they're on a truck. They're okay. on a uh, one of our utility okay, trucks here. All right. And as soon as something does go down, we could we could be rolling. So, so we could send as a resource, off. we can use SCBA bottles to roll those things up and blow them out, and people can walk right across the water and get to the aircraft to affect rescues that awesome. would, would be necessary there. Mm -hmm. So, um, rescue tools, you know, hearse tools, and tools that go along with the crane operations. Uh, that's been my goal is to get these guys everything that they need um, to affect those, uh, particularly those value-added things that the OCFA can bring that's above and beyond what, what the FAA requires. Okay. What's the crane training like? So is that like a week-long class? Uh, it's it a, uh, pretty in-depth. Yeah, it's a uh, certified course. Okay. And um, we do get somebody in here to, to teach that. So it's a uh, federally recognized type course. It, uh, it probably takes... Uh, yeah, the, the test itself, you know, you have a written test, and then you also have a practical test that you have to go through. But to get ready to actually operate, you know, any kind of big piece of equipment like that, mm -hmm. it takes months of just getting up there and, and practicing, you know, getting comfortable with the controls. And, mm -hmm. and then, of course, like what the chief said, you know, the specialty we have here is uh, aircraft removal. So that's what we're mainly concerned with. Uh, we have a gentleman here, Don Childers. He's also part of our... Uh, uh, program with uh, Station 41 over there, Reserve, okay. and, and he does heavy equipment <laughs> operation. He's also our instructor for this course, so it's been excellent. He's been involved with, uh, you know, this aircraft removal, too. All right. So uh, he brought, brings in a lot of knowledge. He has his own little uh, uh, portfolio of things that he's done, crashes that he's been on. Okay. You know, this is how I would handle this kind of call. So we just recently sent uh, 16 folks through that that are part-time here. So these are your part-time folks and full-time folks here. Mm -hmm. So we always want to make sure that we have a crane operator on duty every day. Okay. So put everybody through the program. Thank you, Chief. That was that was excellent to do that. So, so we every got, ARF guy will go just through? Just about the, everybody right now is, is has been through the program. And, but eventually uh, everyone will. That is would that be the plan. So um, with the prior uh, labor contract, we were kind of between a rock and a hard place in that we have a contract with the airport that says we will provide a crane operator. 
But the contract we have with 3631 was it was voluntary to be a crane operator. So obviously that puts you in a spot that, hey, there might be days that we don't do that. So uh, recognizing that, we uh, went back with 3631 and uh, negotiated a side letter with the new contract that everybody coming in will be crane oper uh, operators. All right. So um, if you VT into the position or uh, the side letter also allows us to interview for the captain's position now, the full-time position, uh, if you uh, interview for the captain's position or you interview for the part-time or you VT in by seniority to either the firefighter or the engineer spot, you're still required to have to go through the crane operator's course uh, uh, when we offer it and you have to pass. And we'll give you multiple opportunities to do that, but um, it to meet the mandate that the airport requires and to provide the service we, we have. Um, and, and there's always the argument, uh, particularly from the captains, well, I'm, there, I'm not gonna operate the crane, why do I need to know that? Well, it's I have the same philosophy of, uh, you really should know what an engineer does before you become a captain. Right. Even though you're not going to be driving, you need to know, uh, you know, are, is that person doing the job the, the way they're supposed to? So it's all ranks, everybody part-time, full-time that comes in have to, has to do it. And then the requirement will also be that you have to maintain your currency on it. So even though you got the certificate that the state says, yep, you, you are one, um, we want even the part-time guys to make sure that they're in here on a regular basis uh, working the crane and operating the crane so that when they get the overtime and the call comes in, they're, we know that they're not only uh, qualified, but they're current on that qualification mm -hmm. and can do it as well. So um, <coughs> we've uh, upped the ability for, you know, the argument is, well, I haven't been able to get an overtime or a shift trade in there, so how can I get in? So we're offering the overtime that every 90 days, every quarter, you can come in uh, hours at a time so that you can get that practice. We'll put you on the unit as an extra person mm -hmm. just to make, maintain that, that uh, qualification and the practice that you need. Is that a formalized currency program or is it just kind of a ballpark like try to get in every quarter or is it a mandate? It, it, it's a mandate now with the new side letter gotcha. that this is what we're going to do to, okay. to keep people qualified and, and up on things. And Excellent. along with that, it's also picking up on all those other nuances of the place. Uh, you know, we have a tug here also that we mm -hmm. use quite a bit for, uh, say, flat tires on uh, Category 1 aircraft. Okay. One of the tires go flat. Well, then, you know, the, again, engines are shut down. Aircraft is out on the runway. We still got to get this thing off in a hurry. Yeah. So we have uh, dollies that are specialized just for the main landing gear. We have a uh, tug that can go and pick up the nose gear and let's get this aircraft out of here. And for the guys here, it's just training on the various equipment that we have to do that. Yeah, you got to stay up on exactly. and familiar, right? Yeah, exactly. So and, you and talked a little bit about the captain's role, and now you're even saying that the uh, captains have to be crane operators as yes. well. So what, because you've been around for a long time, Bill, so tell us the differences between, or what's unique about the captain's position in particular at the airport? A captain's position is, at the airport is something that you won't find anywhere else. I mean, it's it's absolutely a specialty for this airfield. Yeah. Um, you're managing, you know, five other bodies here. You have uh, who aren't on your piece of apparatus. Exactly. Yeah. So it's it's not like an engine that's going down the road where you can just reach over your shoulder and say, "Hey, dude, do this when we get here." He's everybody else is on a different piece of apparatus that he's still uh, needing to control as they go. I have a firefighter that's driving for me, and then you have two other heavies that have a engineer firefighter on board. Okay. And, and we all got to keep, and, and you're going to find out 
you know, sometimes it's difficult to keep everybody on that same track, but that we need to. Yeah. And that's where we're constantly training and talking about things here about that. You know, the communication part is always huge anywhere you go. Mm -hmm. So not only are you dealing with, uh, you know, a scene type incident, you're also, you know, the captains here go to constant meetings across the way, uh, you know, with uh, John Wayne Airport, with, mm -hmm. uh, with their administration over there. Mm -hmm. They have safety meetings, they have operation meetings, things that have to be done, you know, mm -hmm. we have a Monday morning meeting that we go to. Keeps everybody uh, up on what's going on around the airport period. So that information comes back here and we kind of distribute it to everybody and make sure everybody's on track with things. Okay. So you're managing and, and it's not like out in the field where things get done. You're, you're dealing with more of a county at the county agency. Yeah. So when things, we have, say, equipment go down or we have a dishwasher, you can see the hole we have behind you there. Yeah, yeah. Some things take a little bit longer than not. Okay. And now it's trying to get that information across to the guys too that, uh, you know, we're in a different system here. You know, we're not in Kansas anymore. So mm -hmm. out there, yeah, things get done maybe a little faster, but same intent, it's just going to take a little bit longer, but we're going to get things fixed here too. Okay. So it, it's, a, it's a big organization here. Uh, we get along extremely well with all airport personnel here. Mm -hmm. And you're straddling those two different worlds because you're still part of the OCFA, but by contract, you're also part of John Wayne Airport and, and then by that extension, the county yeah. of Orange uh, in the same way. Now, on top of all that too, you have to live by all the regulations that the federal government puts down to any airport that's out there. Mm -hmm. So. There's many times where you're having to look through three books to say, oh, okay, which rule applies to this situation? Uh, well, for the feds, I got to do this. For the county, I got to do this. And for OCFA, I got to do that. And it's, it's a tough position to be in as a captain on a day-to-day -day basis to, to try to navigate those uh, um, um, different things that go on. And the feds don't care what rules you have as the county. And, you know, the airport has their own business uh, rules that they are trying to follow. And so it's a, it's a tough, tough line to walk many, many times. So my hat's off to these guys that do this every day. Yeah, here it's a labor-intensive job. Most, <coughs> sure of, most of the captains will say that this is one of the busiest captain positions. It's one have. of the busiest, slower stations that you're ever going to have. Yeah. And, you know, it could be a part of. Yeah. You know, we may get, say, average of maybe four calls a shift. Okay. But, uh, and, and that's not so much, but a call could be something like we had on the 405. Sure. And that could be one of them, and there you can have a whole day of nothing but medical aids. And, and that's a good point, because <laughs> everybody knows about the call on the 405, but who knows about the gear up landing that occurred just, you know, a few weeks ago? Nobody hears about that stuff yeah. because we got the airport open within a half hour and there weren't any injuries. So we, we checked, we walked away, the guy away, but there was a plane crash on this uh, airfield that nobody heard about. And those are some of the regular things that they go on. There's fuel spills every week that go on that are potential uh, big hazardous materials and, and uh, potential uh, issues that, again, nobody hears about because it didn't turn into that. Uh, yeah. spectacular yeah. on camera exactly. uh, which it could have been you know, there was, was one just the other morning just there on the uh, ramp what it was like a 30 gallon you know uh, jet a fuel spill that was happening right there but while uh, they were fueling the plane while they were fueling the plane in the morning so you got passengers you got all the other aircraft next there's a lot going on there for that little bit of time yeah you know but uh, yeah you don't yeah. you're right you don't hear about that stuff as much at all were you here for that call with the gear up landing well, I've been on several. I've been on okay. several, you know, calls like that here that, uh, yeah, they'll, they'll come in and it's same thing. We get the ring down from the tower mm -hmm. and we just get rolling. A lot of times when we see something like there's no injuries, well, you know, we're on scene like now. 
you know, these things are happening now, you know, even yeah. before everybody, everybody gets needs dispatched. to recognize <laughs> that the crash crew gets dispatched before any of the rest of us. So by the time the bell goes off at station 36 for me or, or station 74 uh, for battalion nine or whoever it may be that's coming, they're usually already on scene because they got the ring down from the tower directly and ah. they have a, a mandate that they must be out there actually putting product on any fire that's out there within three minutes. So that's okay. the time they get notified to the time they have water on the fire is three minutes. Mm -hmm. So um, by the time, many oftentimes, and I hear this all the time, you know, I, I, I don't know why, but uh, uh, did I just miss something on another radio or something? But I just got in route and they canceled me already. Well, it's because oh. <laughs> they've already been out there and recognized Fires that, out. okay, we don't yeah. need a whole response coming, that kind of thing. Yeah, there's quite a few calls that we'll get out there and we say, no, this is just, just our few units. We yeah. can handle it. Send somebody back, say, to get the crane. And, you know, just as a group between ourselves, Engine 28, uh, they're also badged to come on the airfield, okay. you know, bring them in and we can go ahead and get this operation done right away. Mm -hmm. and, and yeah, you're right. We do that quite a bit. What are some other call types that you get that are unique to the airport that most of the people don't know about? So there's like, you know, the rough landings like that. Fuel spills, I think we, Fuel spills. we hear about more and, and you could expect that. But uh, talk about like the tug or... You know, how often the tug and the crane are used, or is there anything else the along those lines? The crane maybe gets used possibly once a month, if mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. uh, tug gets used a lot. You know, there's a lot, a lot of flat tires here on these incoming, uh, mainly Category 1, which are your smaller aircraft. Mm -hmm. You know, will come in flat tire either on landing or, or when they're taxiing, and then that's something that we would handle right away. Mm -hmm. uh, occasionally, you'll get one with two flat tires. Now, it's Putting those two on dollies and okay. you know and getting everything off the airfield as quickly Every as possible. Every once in a while, you have a movie star land on the taxiway. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> those things happen too. But uh, the one, uh, remember the one aircraft that landed on uh, Red Hill. Uh, we were first on scene. Crash one was first on scene on that one aircraft that landed on Red Hill, and I pulled up on scene and there was nobody else there. And then engines start coming in. They're going. Where did you come from? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Again, like I, the chief iterating, yeah. you know, just reiterating. Yeah. You know, we get the ring down, yeah. and everybody's not punched out for it yet, so we're already rolling. You know, when we hear things like that. And so. the ring down does that go straight to the station, or you have a radio? Uh, it comes straight through. It's called the crash phone. Mm -hmm. You go it comes right here to to our station. It goes to uh, sheriffs, which is station eighteen, mm -hmm. and uh, also dispatch. Dispatch picks up but on it too. You don't our need dispatch. to dial number. Just when you pick a phone up, it automatically rings to all those places, and okay. it sets the tones off here at the station. Mm -hmm. So the controller is up there in the tower. They just pick that phone up. The tones go off. Uh, everybody knows to start moving. The captain picks up the phone, gets the initial information. Well, meanwhile. We're waiting for RECC to pick up the same phone, and then they've got to take that, put it into the system. So by the time it gets all the way through, like I said, these guys are usually already out there rolling. Interesting. Yeah, Interesting. we're on our way, and usually the phone, the uh, call itself comes up on our screens mm -hmm. as we're, you know, almost on scene. Uh -huh. You know, the guys are saying, "Bam, there it is now." You now, know, so. this day and age is, uh, it isn't unique to this airport, but there's always security. Uh, issues and threats. So um, I think Bill was actually on the call where a bomb threat came into one of the aircraft. They take them down to the isolation circle and have to deal with law enforcement as well as what we're doing uh, in making contact with the pilot and even informing the pilot of what's going on at, at the time. So it's uh, there's potential for many, many different type of, of incidences. And, uh, you know, it's that, that old saying of it's uh, low frequency but a, a high impact right. exists 
nowhere else like it exists right here. <clears throat> yeah. So you, you've got to train for that kind of stuff to be ready for it uh, and then hope that it doesn't happen in your career, but be ready when it does. And again, yeah. another unit that uh, has been added to our fleet here is a stair unit. You know, a stair unit basically that, uh, you know, that we can go up there and drive over to, say, an aircraft like that mm -hmm. that's parked out in an isolation circle or parked on the runway. We can go up there as opposed to them you know, opening up their chutes and sliding oh. down, we can come up with a stair unit and hook it up, put it put it together and get out there real quick so, and they can uh, walk the, down. The auspice or the, what was behind that particular call is somebody phoned in this uh, potential threat. It's no different than you hear, you know, schools and businesses get p p potential threats also. But on an aircraft, obviously it's a, it's a big concern. So the plane was told by the tower just to go out to the isolation circle, but never told the pilot why. Wow. So he was a little freaked out of, hey, something's going on and I don't know what it is. And if somebody doesn't tell me here, I'm going to pull the chutes and, and cause an evacuation. Exactly. And, and it wow. was the uh, Bill who was able to plug into the intercom system and say, hey, hold, hold on. Here's what's going on. Here's what we're trying to do. But part of the issue was getting some way to get to the aircraft out in the middle of nowhere with no a bridge or anything like that. Yeah. Well, at that point, we had to go through the airlines. So now you got to get the airlines to get somebody to get their truck to drive all the way out to us. So it was a good uh, example of, you know what, we kind of need some way that we can do it as well. So uh, it, it, it wasn't brand new, it was a surplus truck, but that's how we were justified to get the truck mm -hmm. that can be used anywhere it needs to be on the airfield that you don't have a jetway to, 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 do, uh, to do that. Right, and it keeps that civilian too out of harm's way. We're asking them to go drive, hey, yeah, you know, this thing, yeah. possible bomb on there, so can you drive that up there? <laughs> yeah. Right. We'll wait back here no for train, you. No train, no equipment. No, no, trust us. <laughs> right, right. You know, and also, do you know who's been trained with that or has been training with us are the sheriffs. Oh, is that right? You know, they can also use that same stair vehicle for whatever need they have. Yeah, if they, they have, have to storm the aircraft, sure. they can do it. Yeah, uh, they can go ahead and do it however they want to do it with that, too. And uh, we said, yeah, there you go, guys. Okay. You got the training. Interesting. You know, go for it. So, so all this stuff that we've been talking about, what I, I want to also kind of emphasize that I think a lot of people don't know is that the, the FAA's requirement for ARF services for this index of an, an airport, which is a Charlie Index Airport, is that you have to have two vehicles. And between those two vehicles, you have to have 3,000 gallons of water. You have to have either 500 pounds of uh, halon or sodium-based uh, um, uh, dry cam, dry cam mm -hmm. or 450 pounds of purple K or potassium-based and two people to operate those vehicles. That's it, that's the minimum. Their only job is to provide a safe path of egress so that the, the crew of the aircraft can tell people, hey, go through that path they just created uh, to hold the fire back uh, to, to make that happen. So everything else that we've talked about, including the extra personnel that we use to be above and beyond what the minimum of the FAA requirement is, is value added to the airport to make any emergency that occurs go better. Um, if you were to have a, a two-person crew that just operates those that it doesn't otherwise have the municipality type uh, uh, organization that we do, they wouldn't be going out to this bomb threat. They wouldn't yeah. be going out to that fuel spill. They wouldn't be going out to these other, uh, other places. So what we've tried to do in all the equipment and the training is to take our experiences in the fire, you know, municipal, county, fire service that we are jack of all trades and do every day and bring that to the airport to, to 
kind of live in the bubble or the, of the world that is John Wayne Airport. And I think we do a pretty good job at it and we are striving to continue uh, down that road to, to, to make that happen as well. Now, on the other side of that coin, it has to be understood that to maintain commercial operations here at the airport, we have to at least meet that minimum. We still have to have two vehicles with 3,000 gallons of water and the, and the dry cam potential between the two. So if we go off field or if we go to that fuel spill or to a medical aid in the terminal or whatnot, we have to be making sure that we are also providing for the index of the airport and the mm -hmm. coverage of the airport. So mm -hmm. I, I say this to folks, particularly like Engine 28 or one of the engines that are coming in on a medical aid. We dispatch Crash 1 uh, to get over there because they can unlock doors, they can uh, bird dog where the patient actually is, they can interact with the airlines folks, but we, and, and if it's a true emergency, if this person needs CPR right now, they can initiate that. But we try to keep them hands off from that as best as possible so that they can remain available if the plane crash happens. And so many times it might be, it's BLS, why isn't crash one canceling engine 28? Uh -huh. We can't because we have to stay available. So you will have to wait for the ambulance. You'll have to take care of the patient until that happens. And that's true. Uh, same if we have a fuel spill, they'll get there and initially make sure, okay, nothing's gonna happen. But if we have to wait for the VAC truck to come out and pull that up, I gotta remain back in service. So we may have an engine come sit and babysit that until that happens. And a lot of times that's hard for the outside guys to understand. I don't understand, you guys are sitting right here, why didn't you cancel us? Yeah. We have a bigger mandate to make sure that we're meeting that uh, index. Uh, same with going off field. If uh, there's a plane crash in, in uh, Aliso Viejo, we may be able to send uh, Crash One to give you the expertise and maybe even the, a little bit of the foam that uh, and, and agent that the Crash One has on it. But there's a process we need to go through, including getting permission from the airport operator to say, hey, we're going to take one of our three units out, but the other two will remain to keep the airport uh, in, in the index. Mm -hmm. So the, uh, the, the process sometimes, even though it's happening behind uh, the scenes, not everybody understands it who's working out in the field. And I don't understand why can't I get a, a truck here right away? Excuse me. What's that there, Bill? What's going on? Bill's got a call. A medical aid. Oh, all right. That's how we get Speaking of the devil. Dispatched. Oh, so yeah. I'll be right back. You bet. So that will be the perfect example. They'll, uh, they'll drive around. Now, remember, um, there are personnel at the air airport all the time. The sheriffs have uh, first aid experience. and. They carry AEDs and, and have uh, um, CPR skills and things like that. They'll try to help bird dog the, um, the other engine crews that are coming in from the terminal side, uh, what needs to be. But Bill is there and as kind of a liaison to make that happen, not mm -hmm. necessarily to uh, render care beyond what is immediate life-threatening. And then what are what other things you think are interesting or would be a value for guys coming on to the airport? Because the the airport is the airport crews, the crash crews are just this small group, even with the part timers. But the guys at 28, they have some familiarity because they come over here on their first due. But say a guy working in overtime on 28s or somewhere else in the battalion, he comes on four alpha. Good to know that, right? And what other kind of things do you think would be helpful? So um, we. We have two entrance points to the airfield 
that we use primarily and, and as the fire service. And that's the Polarino Gate and the Dove Street Gate. And uh, this is always a point of contention from a lot of people that we say, if we get a 757 that just augered in and there's a big ball of flame and people are screaming and running and trying to get away from the aircraft and you guys are holding us at the gate, there's a reason for that. That is calculated. We do that on purpose to make sure that we're bringing some kind of chaos to what needs to go in. You're not going to help put the fire out uh, as a structure engine from outside. The hmm. crash crews are going to do that. Uh, that engine 28 is uh, badged so that they can get through the gate to uh, apply a water supply. But uh, as a BC, as a structure engine, as anybody else that's responding, you're not going to put the fire out. They are. And you need to give them the opportunity to make that path of egress and to uh, get in to get the initial rescue going. So that's another big burden on that captain is he's already establishing some of the pre uh, written protocol that we have as far as where to establish uh, collection points. Uh, we work very well with the sheriffs and the airport operations folks that they have loudspeakers on their car and they're doing the same thing. So as we come into it from outside the gate, it's pretty much the MCI portion and the hazmat portion that we'll eventually uh, move into. And no different than anywhere else that you would go to. And we stage our units on those instances. The expectation is to stage our units on these until we've established where are we going to set the ICP, what's upwind, what's the safe place for our folks to enter, uh, things like that. So those, are, are, those gates are really uh, those uh, stopping points to keep the uh, order, order to the chaos that's coming in. And lesson after lesson after lesson has been learned in previous incidences, the latest being the uh, Asiana crash that happened in San Francisco, where everybody ru uh, rushed the gate and uh, there was other injuries that occurred as a result of uh, people uh, responding. There were things that were happening that wasn't part of the ICS system and in the after action, all of these things could have been avoided if there had been some kind of order brought to it from the very beginning. So that's what we are trying to do and it's a frustration I understand from others who are outside the gate uh, looking in going, hey, uh, this, this doesn't feel kosher to me, but th there is a, a plan to it. So I, I think that would be the biggest one. And then the second one is, is, as you briefly mentioned, are the communications that go with it. 4-alpha has been set aside as that ARF uh, frequency. And only the ARF unit should be talking on that. Nobody else should be talking on it. That's so that they have clear communication of, I need that apparatus parked right here, right now. I need you to put 1,000 gallons of, of water and foam on this area, and now I need you to run the other side and, and do it over there, whatever it may be. And we don't want interruptions of in route, on scene, uh, things like that to happen. Then there's the tactical frequency, which is usually 5 November for the airport here, that everybody else should be talking on. And that's what we'll say, uh, you know, staged, on scene. Uh, the incident commander should be uh, taking command and giving his uh, a directive on that. The airport has a frequency that the sheriffs work off of uh, called silver, and so that's a, a third frequency that uh, usually in Battalion 5, Engine 28, will be monitoring so that uh, we can have some uh, interaction that goes uh, back and forth with there. And then you also have the uh, aviation frequencies. So there's a ground frequency and a tower frequency that you can talk directly to the tower because even in an emergency mode, the crash units still have to get permission from the tower to actually enter into the taxiway or onto the uh, runway. If a 757 augured in, 
just like we're stuck at the gate, they're stuck at the line of the, of the uh, taxiway until the tower clears them to actually go out on, on there. And they do that on that other frequency. On silver? Well, they do it on uh, the, oh, the tower, frequency, tower frequency, which is an aviation frequency. Gotcha. So um, this captain, this RF captain, is literally listening to four different frequencies at one time, just right outside the door. And um, it can get overwhelming a little bit. So mm -hmm. if he doesn't answer you the first time you call him on 5 November, that's usually why. It's because he's talking on one of the other frequencies that you're not listening to right now. So is the comp plan generally then that um, we could talk to the ARF captain, we could talk to Crash 1 on 5 November, and he'll, that's the same as giving it to Engine 28 or Engine 74. He'll communicate to his guys. In this case, he'll because they're on different apparatus, he'll do it on four alpha. Is that a safe assumption? Well, exactly. So if Battalion Nine had something to needed something from the crash units, it, it would go because four alpha the uh, the heavies are that's all they're listening to is four mm -hmm. alpha. The, that captain is listening to five November and four alpha, mm -hmm. and uh, so is ECC usually listening to both those frequencies. Okay. So it's not uncommon that you'll hear ECC make a comment on five November that they heard the captain say on five, four alpha. Mm -hmm. uh, so there is a little bit of that kind of crossover. Uh, the big thing is uh, you got the operations supervisor, you got the sheriff sergeant who is a supervisor here at the airport. They're gonna be in their cars establishing where they think the ICP should be and that's where the battalion chief should go to right away. Mm -hmm. So now there's three SUVs parked right next to each other in a unified command. So even though you may not have that silver channel on your radio, you're right next to, to the guy and shoulder to shoulder who the, who the person is. Gotcha. Uh, um, Battalion 5 has an aircraft radio in it, both in the front and the back and a portable, and uh, can usually talk directly to the tower as well. If, if you come through the gate, whether you're escorted or not, it's the same thing. You need to get permission from the tower or whoever's escorting you has to have permission from the tower to be able to get out onto that field, emergency or no emergency. Mm -hmm. So again, it's very important whether the gate was wide open, uh, whether uh, you got held and are getting an escort, uh, assure that uh, you've got clearance. And, and it's a safety thing. If, um, if the pilot who was right behind the plane that just crashed hasn't got word that that happened, he may be trying to land right on top of you as, as you're coming out. So. Um, you want to make sure that they that the that kind of control and you'd say oh that would never happen it happens mm -hmm. <laughs> it, it, uh, things like that happen all the time so bill now that you're back from the medical aid <laughs> we're wondering what kind of things do you think that incoming crews should be aware of that are unique to the airport just so that we can come in and provide the best service what kind of lessons learned or, or things just that as we the chief done? went over there too just uh, yeah. you know knowing that it's a different environment here and that you do need an escort, an escort, unless you're, you know, but you could possibly be somebody from 28s. A lot of our folks here do work overtime out there. If they're badged, red badged, then they, that would be your escort to come onto the airfield mm -hmm. and do what's needed. If not, then like the chief was, was probably telling you, you need an escort of some sort, okay. either operations, sheriffs, or uh, you know, our security folks over here okay. can escort. So but know too that if they say, no, you're not going, listen to them. Mm -hmm. I, I don't, you, I've heard folks out in the field say, "No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get on that airfield, and they yeah. need me there now." Type thing, but you know, know that there are regulations, and they have to follow that and, too. And that has actually held up getting the help that we needed. Uh, that was a perfect example. What happened was the the engine who was not uh, badged to come in, 
argued with the security guard of, hey, I'm the fire department. I need to be in there. There's an emergency. Yeah. You will let me in. And the guard then um, told sheriffs, who sheriffs are saying, no, 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 nobody comes in. And as a result, now even somebody who has a badge can't get past because the guard was just told, don't let anybody in. So yeah. that miscommunication, which really stemmed from the argument that uh, a firefighter made to begin with, caused a, an, an additional delay to the whole thing. Don't argue with the, with the guard. Just uh. go on scene. We're staged. We're here. You'll send us an escort. We'll come in when you need us, that kind of thing. It goes against our natural tendency because you go does. your entire career with basically full access everywhere. Exactly. They're going to people's Great. houses into businesses that are closed, you know, and rusting down doors if need be even. So we're not used to being told no and being held out. Right. And, and if there, you are that's held an excellent out, point because you're right. Wrong. You're right. Yeah. And that's one lesson that all of us have to you know, abide by once we're here and for folks coming from the outside that yeah. it's really a tough one. I, there are some folks that just don't quite, it doesn't got the grasp of it yet. It's counterintuitive. It, it's it not something much. that we've ever done before. <laughs> I get else. the frustration. Uh, there, there will be times that I'm even carded and I will still stay right at the gate or go mm -hmm. inside until I am absolutely sure of, okay, what's going on? Where can I go? Where, where, where can I go? And it is just as frustrating because like you said, we, we want to rush to help where we can help. But in that rush, in this environment, it can cause more problems than it, it will help. Mm -hmm. And history has shown that out through many other incidences across the nation that have occurred where, uh, like I said, in the Asiana case, People who d died who shouldn't have died because of the chaos that was uh, that that uh, came through. Yeah, we don't want that, obviously. No, no. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, guys, for volunteering to do this. I think we'll wrap up the podcast. Until next time. Thanks. You're thank welcome. Thanks for the highlights. We hope uh, there's yeah. good information out there. And anybody listening, don't hesitate to call us here at the airport or Battalion Five, and we can give you any other information you need. All right. Thanks again to uh, Chief Schultz and Captain Valdez for talking us, uh, talking to us rather, and uh, for al also uh, Captain Milliot for facilitating that interview. Again, next week will be the second part of the interview where um, those three are joined by a few more members of Fire Station 33, as well as Battalion Chief um, Tony Espinoza from Battalion 9, who was incident commander for the downed aircraft on uh, June 30. And uh, we'll also interview uh, John Meffert, who's the uh, off-duty Avalon uh, fire captain who rendered aid to the victims there just minutes after the crash. Um, and so I think you'll find that pretty interesting. So tune in with us and with that, watch out for each other and we'll talk to you soon.